Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're, we're going to continue our study on the book of Ephesians. And I hope you're enjoying this as much as, as I do. You rarely enjoy me as much as I enjoy me, but I hope you're enjoying this. And so uh, we've been in this, uh, this, we call it the book of Ephesians. It's a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul's writing, you know, Paul, Paul, whenever, I, I know I say this every time, but I just think it's so important, the context. Paul hated Christians. Paul was dragging Christians to be off in prison. Paul was trying to kill Christians. He might have been responsible for the murder of some Christians. And then he has a radical encounter with Christ. Think about it. You saw him die. You understand that he was buried. And now he's alive again. And you run into him. That's, that's going to change your life. Right, And so Paul is radically changed and spends the rest of his life traveling around the Mediterranean and he's planting churches and he's pastoring and he's teaching and proclaiming the gospel. And uh, now he's in prison. Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. He's in prison for proclaiming the gospel primarily. And uh, Paul hears about what's going on in some of these churches where he's taught and specifically in Ephesus where he planted that church. Paul ministered in Ephesus longer than anywhere else. He was there about three years. And so he writes this letter. Again, we don't think it was just to Ephesus. We think that it was a traveling letter that would have gone to several churches. We think the trade route was probably Revelation 2 and 3 and those churches that are listed. It's not that important. But, but now he, he does definitely talk to the Ephesians. And so we're going to continue that. Just remember this. This is why Paul wrote. He's in prison, and he gets word from a guy who travels there to see Paul, and this guy's like, man, you can't believe what's happening to the churches. They're going a little off. They're, they've gotten, you know, and Paul's just like, what? What's happening to these churches? And so Paul writes this letter to set things straight. Listen, everybody, we're just getting a little off here. You've you got to remember that, especially this morning when we talk about this. The church has gotten a little off. Okay, let that settle in for just a second. The church has gotten a little off. We've got to talk to the church. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to have you imagine something before we do anything else. Sit back in your seat. Sit back in your seat. Sit back in your seat. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, now this morning I just want you to imagine. Okay, good. So here's what I want you to imagine. That was a cheap laugh. Anyway, here's what I want you to imagine. You're 100 years old. You're 100 years old. And you've lived your life as a follower of Christ. That's what you've done. You've lived your life as a follower of Christ. And because that's how you've lived your life, you gathered regularly with the body of Christ. So you could have been doing something else on Sunday mornings, but for all these years, you've gathered regularly with the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ, to, to encourage the body of Christ. So you spent some time, you've invested some time building up, encouraging the body of Christ. And not only that, not only did you show up for service to encourage the body of Christ, but let's be honest, man, you, you were committed to follow Christ. You said, I've been given some gifts by God, and I want to use those gifts to build up the body of Christ. And so you volunteered your time and energy. You give it like you're using your gifts and talents, and you're pouring into the church. And sometimes it's sacrificial of your time, and you've done that. You've done it. And so not only did you gather regularly with the body of Christ, not only did you give of your time in other ways and use your talents and abilities, but you have financially invested in the church. You know, I always remember a buddy of mine one time who said to me, so Neil, uh, he's, he's not a follower of Christ, and he knows that I am, and we talk very candidly about it. He goes, so let me ask you something. Like, he lives in Salt Lake City, and, and the Mormons, everybody in Salt Lake City knows that the Mormons have been, have been t- having money taken directly out of their paychecks long ago, and 10% goes directly to their ward, 10%. And he goes, Neil, the, the Mormons do that. Like, do you guys do that at your house? And I said, we do. And he said, really? I said, yeah, we do. It's, it's, it just automatically comes right off the top. We just, we just give it. He goes, 
man, he goes, do you, know, do you know what you could have done with all that money? And I would say, oh, brother, we are. We are doing that with our money, right? And so you've invested your money. You've done all that stuff. And now that you're 100, no offense to anybody who's close, but you're kind of on your deathbed. Like, you know that the end is about to come, right? You, like, you just know. I'm about 100 years old. It's about to come. And so what you do now is you reflect and you look back on your life and you look at all the time that you put into church and you were there on Sundays building up the body of Christ and you were there using your gifts and talents and you were pouring in and ministering to the church, right? And you've invested your money and you lay there at 100 and you say, what a colossal waste of time that was. Our church didn't do a dang thing. Like, we didn't do a thing. We didn't accomplish anything. Do you know how frustrating that would be? You know, like, nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to turn around and say, this was a colossal waste of time, all our time and energy and money that we put into this. Nobody, nobody wants to say that. You want to know that, man, what we did was fruitful and effective and it furthered the kingdom of God, right? That's what we did through our church. Here's what we know. The truth that we know from the scripture is this, is that the church is God's plan for the world. Have you ever thought about that? Like, first of all, God had an eternal plan. He had an eternal plan, and he eventually used the prophets. Then he brought the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. And after that, the Holy Spirit came, and now God works through the church. The church has been God's eternal plan. We saw this earlier from the book of Ephesians where Paul says this. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan. You and I are God's eternal plan. The church is God's eternal plan. And we want to be active and fruitful. We want to expand the kingdom of God. So the question that we would want to ask when we get to that point, if we felt that the church was ineffective, is what would it take for the church to fulfill, fulfill God's plan for the world? What would it take? What would it take so that at the end we can say, like that was worth it. That was good. The church was fruitful and effective and we furthered God's vision and God's plan for the world. What would it take? What would it take for that to actually happen? We're going to see that this morning. Turn your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at this. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're at. If you pull it up digital, uh, it'll ask you what translation you want. We read from the New Living Translation. New Living is what we happen to use at this church. The other good translations, this is the one we use. And then when you get it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, follow along as I read, I'm starting in verse 1. This is this passage, this is Paul's thought in this section, and he says this. Therefore I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. If you've been called by God, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there's one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all, in all, living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Verse 11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. 16, 
Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Give us understanding. We need understanding, and that comes by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Spirit, we know you're here. We recognize that. We say thank you for being in our presence, for for allowing us to spend time with you. Now, teach us. Open our hearts and minds. Teach us what you would have each of us to know, Lord. Do it in a way that just draws us to you, that draws all people to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And so again, what we want to do is we want to get to the end and say, man, that was time well spent. Those were energies well used. That was money well spent. And so the question again would simply be this. What would it take? What would that take? What would it take for the church to fulfill God's plan for the world? Now, I'm going to, you know, we always have, if you're new here, we always have a big so what. So at the end of the service, I go, here's the big so what. And the beauty of the big so what is you can sleep through the whole service and you only have to wake up for that one line. So this is kind of dangerous because I'm going to give you the one line up front and then you may just check out and go to sleep. Just, just be aware of this. We're taking communion at the end of service. So stick around if you're online. P.S. If you're online, you might want to get some elements so we can take communion. But I'm going to give you the big so what right now. Here's what you want. To, there's, there's no guessing game here. This is why I want you to know it's what Paul's talking about. It's what we want to flesh out this morning. And the big so what is simply this, that we got to be unified for God to be glorified. Now, here's the deal. God will bring himself glory one way or another. But our part, our part as as it relates to the church, what we got to do, we got to be united. We have got to be unified. And that's what Paul's going to talk about. So we're talking about a scriptural thought. What we want to do is we want to come and understand the word of God. And so this scriptural thought, this, this biblical thought, really goes from about 1 to verse 16. So I'm going to show you this now. This is, this is where we want to get to, be unified for God to be glorified. I want to take you all the way to the end. Look at verse 16 in your Bibles. Look at the second half of 16. Now watch. It says this. So that. In other words, everything in this thought has been leading up to this. So that. This is where we want to get. So that the whole body, that's us. We're the body of Christ. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's where we want to get. We're healthy and growing. God's word is spreading. The kingdom is expanding. People are coming to know Christ. That's the effective, fruitful church. That's what we're talking about. Okay, how do we get there? Look back at your Bibles at verse one. Here he starts in. Paul says, "There, I therefore, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Remember, we know he's in prison. He's writing from prison in Rome. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For, now listen to this, You have been called by God. Everybody listen to me. If you're in this room this morning, if you're online this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been called. Everybody got that? You've been called. Another way to say that would be this. All Christians are called Christians. Every Christian is a called Christian. You have been invited. You've been invited to be a child of God and to participate in the mission of God. All Christians are called Christians. Now, sometimes we, we kind of mystify this. We over-mystify this a little. In our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, which I love being a part of the Assemblies of God. Some people have our denominations. We technically call ours a fellowship. Sometimes we over-mystify this. So for me, for instance, I have a license as a pastor, 
right? I've been ordained. I have a license to be a pastor. I, I can do marriages, those kinds of things. And so when you, when you uh, apply for your credentials within the AG, they ask you, they say, tell us about your calling, right, Gary? And sometimes you kind of go, well, I know this. I know that the heavens split, and there was, this, there was this choir, giant choir singing. There were lots of angels, fat little angels that rode on clouds and, and big angels that rode on lions. It was un- like, no, here's your calling. Every one of you has been called. You've been invited. You are a child of God, and he has a call on your life. Now, we have different kinds of callings. Some of you have been called. You've been called by God, and you're a fireman. And God has called you as a child of God. He's invited you to be his follower, to advance the kingdom. And so you do that at a local firehouse. You take the presence of the Holy Spirit with you every day, and you speak truth, and you speak light into where you go. Some of you are called, you've been invited to be a child of God, and you do it downtown in an office building where you take the presence of the Holy Spirit in, and you speak life, and you speak light everywhere you go. Some of you, listen, the greatest strategy for expanding the church is raising Christian children, right? Some of you have been called to do that. You have the privilege of doing that, and you raise children. You have a calling on your life, and you minister to those children, and you speak life and light into them, and you raise them up to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have done that, right? Everybody, if you're a follower of Christ, has a calling on your life wherever you're at. Now, think about the Apostle Paul. He's in prison, Paul sees that as his calling. Look how he writes. He wrote, one of the other churches that he wrote to while he was in prison was the church at Philippi. Look what he says to the Philippian church. He says, I, I want you guys to know this, my brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me, my being thrown into prison, my being shipwrecked, my being beaten, all those things that have happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. In fact, he says, everybody here, including the whole palace guard, They know that I'm in chains because of Christ. See, everywhere I go, that's my calling. I go in there. I'm in prison. Guess what? It's my calling. And I take the light and the life of Christ with me everywhere I go. If If you're a follower of Christ, there's a call on your life. You have a calling. Now, Paul says this, just like we looked at. Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life. Here's what he says. Live your lives worthy of your calling. Live your lives worthy of your calling, for you have been called. This word worthy in the Greek is the word axios. It's where we get our word axiom. And axiom is something that has equal weight on both ends of the statements. It means this. It's fitting because it appears so. That's what it really means. It is fitting because it appears so. It is fitting that you call yourself a follower of Jesus because it appears so. When I look at your life, it looks like you're a Christian. You don't just say it. That would be one end of the equation. The opposite end that makes this an equal equation, an axiom, is you live your life in a manner that says and validates, I'm a follower of Jesus. Paul says, I'm asking you, you've been called, you have a calling on your life, live your life in a manner that's worthy of your calling. What's your calling? Child of God. Live your life in a manner that's worthy of that. And further, he says this, I'm begging you folks, I'm begging you folks, please live your lives in a manner that says, I'm a follower of Jesus. Live that way. That's what Paul's asking, right? Now now watch how he goes on and he says this. Here's what it's going to look like for us to live worthy. First of all, always be humble. 
Start out with humble. He says, man, live your life worthy. Okay, what's that look like? Starts with being humble. Now, just understand this, that the culture that Paul is writing to is a Greco-Roman culture. In the Greco-Roman culture, humility was looked down upon. Humility was the behavior of a slave. That's what they thought. Isn't that interesting how many of the apostles in their writings introduced themselves as a bond slave? a servant of Christ, that Greco-Roman culture, they looked down upon it. To be humble simply means this. I'm putting the needs of others above myself. I'm putting the thoughts of others upon my, above myself. I'm putting their, 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 their wants, their desires, their needs above myself. There is no I demand my dang rights in humility. That's not, a, that's not, a, that's not an act of humility. That's not. Now, I don't know if anybody else is getting uncomfortable, but this stuff is starting to bug me already. Like this stuff is challenging me already and we're only the first one. Because I like me some me and I like my way. I like my opinion to be known. I want everybody to cater to me. Welcome to my world. And Paul starts out with humility, like humble. I want you to live your lives worthy of the title follower of Jesus. You know how that starts? Humility. Watch what Paul writes again to the Philippian church. Paul says this, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Instead, be humble. What would that look like? Think of others. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't just look out for your own interests. Take an interest in others. I, I would say this, man, I think in this last year and a half that we've lived, do I need to say any more? Like, what if we thought about other folks? What if we thought about how they feel? It ain't about me. It ain't about my wants. My, this stuff's tough for me. I'm just being honest. This stuff's tough for me. But we got to walk worthy. Worthy of followers of Christ, right? And then Paul says this. He doesn't just say humble. He, he pairs that up with gentleness. There's got to be humility. But he pairs that with gentleness right? This gentleness is the idea sometimes of meekness, right? Humility is sometimes translated lowliness, and gentle is sometimes weakness, meekness. Meekness is power under control. That's what he's talking about. Man, be gentle with folks. If we're going to live worthy so that when we get to the end, we go, wow, 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 time well spent, church. Bravo, church. We expanded the kingdom, like, people came to know Christ because of this. We were fruitful and effective. How does that happen? It starts with being humble and gentle. Like, that's a big deal. We, we can't just poo-poo that and read on. We just stop and think about this. How are we doing? Right? And then he says this. Paul continues that same thought. Be humble and gentle. And then he says this. Be patient with each other. Well, how so, Neil? Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make allowance for each other's faults. Be patient, right? Like, this is another one that's real hard for me. I'm like, chop, chop, everybody, let's go. Come on, come on, figure this out. Let's go, let's move. And he says, no, no, not, 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 not chop, chop. We're not doing chop, chop. We're being patient with people. And we make allowance for their faults. This is the idea of a very generous and forgiving heart. This is from a, a, a divine nature is where this comes from. Thank you. Yeah, I, would, I would agree. I think it's grace. It's giving grace. 
Now listen, the idea here is, is we often think of, of the parable, we, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. It's a father who had two sons. One son happened to be the prodigal. Now get a load of this. This was a, one of the most scandalous parables that Jesus ever told. It's a parable. It ain't a true story, but it's a parable. It's one of the most scandalous stories that he told because of the culture that he was speaking to. Here's a son who comes to his father and says, now remember, patriarchal culture. Patriarchal culture. The father is everything. The father is to be revered. The father is to be respected and honored. And one of his kids comes to him and says, hey, Pop, I'd like to have, uh, I'd like to have my inheritance right now. Well, the kid doesn't get the inheritance until the father passes. So in essence, what the kid is saying to his dad is, hey, fa- father, it'd be just as good to me if you were dead. I just want my stuff. And in a weird way, the father says, okay, and the father gives it to him. Well, the f- son doesn't just take it. The son sells it and goes to a foreign land. Now, remember, their culture, their day, they don't have a social security system. You know who cares for the parents? You know how they get taken care of? Their children take care of them when the parents get older. This kid is saying, don't want to do that. Don't want to be a part of taking care of my father. Don't care for my father. I'm out of here. I'm gone. And so he totally disrespects his father. Bad move in a patriarchal culture. Leaves, takes off, and lives crazy wild. Spends all the money on crazy, wild, sinful living. And he gets to a point where things are so bad, and he's like, oh, man, I, I better get a job. And guess what? Now, remember, he's a Jew. He's a Jew. And what's he doing? He's feeding Feeding pigs ain't good for a Jew because pigs are unclean animals. They don't eat them. They don't touch them. They don't have anything to do. He's feeding pigs now. Now listen, Jesus' Jesus audience at the time would be like, that's right. I get what you're doing here, Jesus. You're telling us a a, a story, a parable about justice. This young boy is getting what's coming to him. He disrespected his father. He went off and lived wild. Now he's got to feed pigs. And the boy says, my father's hired hands. My father's hired men. They're doing better than I am. I should go back to my father. And again, Jesus' audience in that culture, first century, right? They're like, oh yeah, you go on back to the father. You're about to get justice. Give it to him, Jesus. Let him know what happens to a boy like that. And yet it says this. You all know this line. While he was still... A long way off. The father saw him. There's only one way the father sees him. He's looking. He's desperately looking. You don't look for that kid. You write him off. You forget about him. You turn your back. Nope. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him. In a very undignified way, this father, the revered, respected one, hikes up his tunic and he blitzes out to the kid. And he smothers him in love. And the audience is going, no, this was about justice. That's what this parable was all about. What are you doing? And Jesus is like, forgiving heart, allowing for the faults of others. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults. This isn't just a verse for other people. This may not have been written to us, but it was clearly written for us for the church today, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, which by the way, P.S., we've all been called, then what that looks like is humility. It looks like gentleness. It looks like we are patient with each other. Get ready. We make allowances for each other's faults. How, do you know, how many of you know this? I think this was Ben Franklin that once said this. You can't fix stupid and you can't fix crazy. Guess what? Newsflash, everybody. Sometimes church folks, we're stupid and we're crazy, and you just can't fix it. So you know what we do? We make allowance. That's what we do. We make allowance. 
Now, I'm going to go back to this, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but I'm just talking to me right now. You just happen to be a part of my conversation in my head. But in the last year and a half, how have we done? Have we made allowance? Have we been patient with each other? Have we been humble, both in our speech and in our social media posts? Have we been humble? Have we made allowance for others' faults in our responses on social media? Right? Now, what's the natural conclusion of this? We got patience. We got humility, right? Then he says this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. That's what comes next. United in the spirit. Now, I'm going to give you this in the New International Version. It's another translation. Remember this. Different translations don't say different things. They say the same things differently. This is the NIV, and I just like the word they use. Make every effort to keep the unity. Keep unity. Keep unity. Now, it doesn't just say unity. Look at your Bibles. You might circle this one. Unity in the spirit. Unity in the spirit. And this is what I think is key. Unity in the spirit. What is it that unifies us? There is a God. His name is Jesus. He came and dwelt among us suffered and died on our behalf so that we could be made right with the Father. Boom, unity. That's the thing that unifies us, unity in the Spirit. And the reason I point that out is we're talking about unity. We're not necessarily talking about uniformity. We don't all have, in fact, I would say this, the word unity and make every effort for unity implies the fact that we are different and do things different and have different looks at things. And yet we're called to unity. That's what we are called to, everybody. Now, look, I, I, I think, I, I think I, we did a series a while back called To Die For. What are the things that we're willing to die for? Very few things. Very few things spiritually that I'm, I'm willing to die for. There's one true God, the deity of Christ, meaning Jesus Christ is God, the authority of the scriptures, and the fact that salvation, salvation, eternal life, rescued from hell, only comes by the grace of God through faith in Christ. That's it. After those four things, I'm good to go. You want to wear robes? You don't want to wear robes? I'm good to go. You want to do it this way? I'm good to go. Right? Unity, not uniformity. I would say in our great diversity, we should have unity. Look, this is going to bug some of you, and I know that, so R at cbchurch.org. Don't worry about it. Uh, I believe it is God's will. I believe it is God's will, for instance, for some of you to vote Republican, because I think we need to get some Christian folks into that Republican Party. I think it is God's will for some of you to vote Democrat, because I think we need to get some Democrats into that Democrat, some Christians into that Democratic Party. I think it's God's will for some of you folks to vote Kanye and get some Christians into the Kanye Party. (laughs) This whole idea that we're going to separate over a political idea is heresy, and it's got to stop. Now, here's the beauty of it. I would do this. This is just me, and I just, I'm just going on a rant for a while. That's the beauty of being a pastor. You just go, get to go on public rants. I think if I said, hey, let's grade the church. How do we do in the last elections? My grade is a D. I think we did about a D. I think we did poorly as Christians. I'm just being honest. I'm right there with you. I grade me a D. We all did terrible. Here's the beauty of it. We're going to get another chance. We got midterm elections coming up. We're going to have another presidential election someday. Could we potentially handle it with humility, with gentleness, with patience, allowing for one another's faults? Could we do that? Here's one for you. Don't everybody freak out and leave. 
I'm just telling you the fact. This mask thing divided us in the most ridiculous of ways. I ain't going to church. Their church, they wear masks. I'm, I'm not going to their church. They have services. That's ridiculous, right? Guess what? We may get another chance. I'm just saying, everybody, we may get another chance. And do you know, in all honesty, I know this is going to sound crazy, folks. I actually look forward to it. And I'll tell you why. Because I think we're going to get a chance to show the world that that bugs a lot of people. And it even bugs some of us. But we ain't looking for uniformity. We're looking for unity. And so we stay united. And we do not let the silly thing like that divide us. Hey, I'll tell you this, man. If I start telling you that the Bible is crazy talk, you folks ought to split and find you another church right now. But we ain't splitting over that. It's going to be our testimony. This unity thing is good. This is a, sure, I don't know how far this goes back. I think it's the 1600s. I love this. But it was this idea. In essentials, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. What's essential that we are united in Christ, that there is one God, that Jesus Christ is God, that he died to unite us with God. In that, man, unity. Hey, do you have a choir? Do you not have a choir? Do you have robes? Do you not have a liberty? Oh, right on. That's cool. You know? In all things, man, let's treat people right. It's funny. Like, we can't agree on everything even in the church. We all agree on the same gospel. Here's what we don't agree on. Who should be able to proclaim it? We can't agree on that. Am I right? Should be men? Men only? Can women do that? Like, we can't agree on that. We're not even agreed half the time on who should be able to proclaim, receive that word. We don't preach it to them. We, we can't agree on that stuff. Uh, this last week, I had just the most encouraging uh, episode this last week. You know, we had, um, by the way, Pastor Jerry, if you're watching this morning, uh, good morning for you. We're praying for you. We love you. Uh, pastor Jerry was a pastor here previously. He's our pastor emeritus. And so uh, the funeral for his wife passing was, was last Sunday. And so then Monday morning, we went out to the cemetery and we had the committal service. And so we came back and we were just on the north end down the theater. And we had, they had a brunch for the family and we were hanging out there. And then it kind of got time for everybody to leave. So I went back to my office, said goodbye to folks and, you know, went back to my office. So I'm sitting in my office. Sandy Jeans is working at the front desk on the other end of the building. And she comes to my office and said, hey, there's a woman at the, at the front desk. She wants to meet you. Her name uh, is Marlis Kingswriter. Now, our founding pastor was Arvid Kingswriter. Arvid was one of five brothers. The youngest brother was Delmer, and Delmer married this Marlis. Delmer and Marlis were the first missionaries that our church ever sent, and they went to Tanzania in 1955. Okay? So she's out of the front desk. So I walk out, and I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, are you the pastor of this church? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you follow Pastor Jerry? I said, uh, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, what's your name? I said, Neil. So what's your last name, Neil? I said, Rich. You're Neil Rich. Yes, ma'am. You're the pastor of this church. I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, tell me how, she's been here forever, you know, right? I think she's 95. If if you're watching, I get this wrong, but I think she was 92 or 93. And she said, tell me how the church is doing. I said, well, I think we're doing really well. Post-COVID, I think the church has come back. We're gaining some strength, and I think things are going really well. And she goes, you still got a choir? You still got an organ? She goes, you still got, uh, you still got to sing from hymnals? I said, uh. No, ma'am. Listen to this now. She's got one of these things that you push with wheels on it, you know? 
And she's been sitting on it the whole time. She's just sitting. She's kind of got it. She's kind of like this, and she's got her head down. She said, you got a choir. You got hymnals. You, 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 you still got an organ. I said, no, ma'am. She looked up, and she said, You do whatever you got to do to reach the next generation. She said, a few years back, I was at church with my granddaughter, and she said, we went in there, and she said, you know, they got the contemporary worship, and she said, I, I said, oh, I know. And she said, uh, she said, we got all done with the service, and my granddaughter says to me, Grandma, how'd you like the service? And she said, you know what? I don't really care for that style of music, but she said, when I looked around and I saw the young people standing and worshiping God, I said, do what you got to do, right? Because there was unity on the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus, everybody, right? Thank you. Listen, Jesus himself, Jesus himself, he's about to go to the cross. He knows that. It's about over for him. And so he's in his last like hours, and he's praying. He's praying to God the Father. Listen to how Jesus prayed for, and listen, listen to what he prayed for. He says this in John chapter 17. Many of you know this. Jesus said, I pray to God, he's praying to the Father, that they, that they, he's praying for us into the future, even, that they'll be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you. And may they be in us. May they have this unity. Why? So that the world will believe. That's unity. So the world believe you sent me. Two verses later, he says this again. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Right? Now watch this because this is, this is kind of fun. Paul's talking about how we got to be unified, unified, unified. Then he gives this little comment in verse 7. Look in your Bibles. By the way, he has given each one of us a special gift. The, in other words, he's saying there are different gifts. There is a diversity of gifts. We're called to be one. There is a diversity of gifts. He lists them here. Many of you know this passage. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. There's apostles. That's different than the prophet. That's different than an evangelist. That's different than a pastor. Those are different than teachers. And then he tells us what the purpose of these is. Look in verse 12. Their responsibility, these positions, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. How long is that going to go on? That's going to continue until we all come to such unity. We're one. There are a variety of gifts, a diversity of gifts. For what purpose? Unity. Just to bring unity again. It's all about unity. And then he gets to the last verse of this thought, verse 16. And I gave you this at the beginning. He makes the whole body fit together. That's unity. Even in our diversity, unity, not uniformity. We fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. Why? So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love, fruitful, effective church, expanding the kingdom so that we don't lay there on our deathbed and go, what a crock. What a colossal waste of time. No, man, we get to look back and go, that was so hard. It was so difficult. It was so challenging at times. And the kingdom of God expanded and people came to know Jesus. And there are people that we're going to see in heaven and they're going to proclaim the name of Christ along with us. Why? Because of our work as a church, because we were unified. So we started out with this question. What would it take? What would it take for the church to fulfill God's plan for the world? What would that take? And we said the answer was very much this. It's going to take unity. we got to be unified. That's our part. we got to be unified for God to be glorified. It's in his passage. You see this great, 
this great progression, it started with humility, right? Humility coupled with gentleness. Even then from there, it went on with patience, where we make room for each other's faults. And then it led to unity. I would say it this way. Humility and patience equals unity. It brings unity. Okay, how are we doing? What do we need to work on? How can Neil be more humble? How can Neil be gentler? How can Neil be more patient? How can Neil, right, like allow for each other's faults? How, he says, make every effort to pursue unity. I mean, do you, do you know what that means? It means there are times when you go, nothing. You're just going to step back and say nothing. You want to. I'm in the same boat, man. This, this stuff messes with me. I don't care for this. I don't care for this passage. I don't, I don't get to pick and choose. I just go, eh, big red X. Now that you know, now you're responsible. So what are we going to do? That's the bigger question. And the big now what is this? Think about this. Humility. Right? Patience. Think unity. What can we do? What can we do? That's what we got to do. We got to act out. Look, walk worthy of the calling. How is that? It means that we're humble. That's worthy of the calling. It means coupled with gentleness. It means patience. That's worthy of the calling. Right? And then the last thing I want to tell you is we're going to memorize this this week. We're going to memorize it as a church. We have cards for you. When you leave, the ushers have cards for you with this first. But I just want to show you this is our passage today. Memorize this this week. Put this on your refrigerator, put it on your mirror, put it on your desk, wherever. Always be humble and gentle, church. Be patient. Be patient with each other. How? You make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We're going to make every effort to keep yourselves united. United in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. It's just natural. Sometimes we don't have agreement. Can we keep unity? Unity in our church Y'all are having life groups and you're meeting in life groups. Can you, can you fight for unity in your life group? Can we fight for it? Can we, can we not? Can we not? This whole cancel culture that we talk about, guess what? We're a part of it. It's in the church. It's in the church just like everywhere else. It's not enough to believe about Jesus anymore. You have to agree with me on this, 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 this totally non-essentials. Can we act different? Can we behave different? You're going to get a card when you leave here this morning. You'll have that verse. Let's memorize that. Not just memorize it. Let's let the Holy Spirit minister that to us. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your goodness to us, for your grace, for your mercy. Father, we are truly grateful for that. Thank you for your holy word and what it speaks to us. And now, Lord, let your spirit minister this to us. Father, would your spirit minister this to us this morning?